know you went that deep? That's why podcasts have become so popular. Because yeah. people are fed up with hearing these 10 second sound bites on the news that is like doesn't convey the person's opinion at all. It's like this little thing they're like doing for clicks and likes. And like, I feel like that's why people are like, atta- like loving podcasts so much is because it's the closest thing to a actual conversation that you see nowadays. Yeah. Like everything else is so, f- there's so many filters that go through like every TV show, every movie, every like media platform. It, there's like so many people like judging it before it ever gets to the public like this no one touches it's just me yeah and and it goes out and so like if there's a big enough audience you can share like just like very straightforward real conversations yeah sort of a package thing yeah and you don't see that anywhere nowadays yeah that's true it's true i was just listening to a podcast where they were talking about that i Um, feel like it's refreshing for people yeah it totally is and hearing perspectives that aren't just like the handful of perspectives that we're taught are like acceptable or important podcasts give like the opportunity for different different types of people to share their thoughts on things especially and cover ground that like never gets covered yeah like you can really get in like go anywhere with that i'm trying to read more fiction because i think it's good for your brain um why well when my dad got um when my dad got sick he stopped reading fiction before he started reading nonfiction. and my theory about it is because it was harder for him to create worlds because that's what you're doing when you're reading fiction is like you're reading the words and you're kind of imagining it in your head and so my theory is that you know his brain wasn't it was a lot harder for him to create a new context in his brain than to like read a book about the United States and he was like yeah like I understand like the plate where this is set the context like there was less imagining that has to happen mm. um, so I think it's positive to read books and kind of work that part of your brain where you're having to imagine things and kind of just take them right from the page and it's not something that you can just know going in i was listening to a podcast and i was talking about how people like there's like some notion that creativity decreases with age and that that's just bullshit like that there's no there's no facts around that at all yeah yeah i wouldn't imagine there would be because i feel like you just learn you might get more stuck like you might get more stuck in certain ways of thinking but that doesn't mean that you're not don't have the capacity to be creative Mm mm-hmm Right. Yeah. I guess like as you get older, you like that's kind of what me and Anthony were talking about a little bit. How like you're as you as you get older, like you kind of naturally you kind of find data. It's like the confirmation bias. You find data that supports like your worldview in some way. Like I I guess that's the easiest, easiest mode of being. So that's like most common. So then Mm -hmm. you kind of like get stuck in this like and then it's like this worldview gets like reinforced over and over again. Yeah. But like then what you're talking about is like exposing yourself to these other worlds is, is so good because it gets you out of it gets you out of your own way a little bit. Yeah. Out of your own box. And like we develop those boxes fairly, you know, it's like, well, this worked, this didn't work. So I'm going to do this in the future and this worked and that didn't work. So we do that. But then if you're not willing to kind of stay open to possibility, if you get too locked into that, then I think you miss opportunities. Is that like when when you say social work? What does that mean exactly? Would that would that be something like a pillar? Well, that's two different questions. What, okay. wh- how would you define social work? Um, social work can be a lot of things. I mean, it's work that relates to um, to the needs of people. Um, so 
social workers could be like case managers so if like someone um, is needing support in like say they don't have a home and they need support in like finding a home and getting yeah. connected to like substance use resources and stuff like that like a social worker could be the person that does that mm -hmm. that's kind of what people think of most of the time when they think of social work mm -hmm. but it also could be policy like you could there are social workers that go into government or go into policy work where they're thinking about well what will really benefit people what will benefit the widest variety of people like what policy could we put in place for something like um, like welfare you know like how could that most serve the widest number of people in mm -hmm. theory it doesn't always work out that way um, or you could do re research like there's also like social work which is like research which is like um, you know there's like a study on maternal health um, mm -hmm. or like the disparities and like maternal death rates in the United States stuff like that like that can all be a social work um, that could also be social work too. But being a social worker, theoretically, is sort of bringing a framework of um, understanding people as a part of systems um, and understanding our society as a series of systems. Um, and theoretically, what we're supposed to be doing is kind of like helping to improve the system and um, sub subverting the system when it's not actually serving people. It doesn't always work out that way. Social workers also do some really bad stuff. What do you mean? Like, if you were in a, like, have you heard of the, like, boarding schools that they, like, forcibly sent Native American children to? No. So that was a big Jesus. thing that happened in the U.S. and Canada and Australia, I'm sure other places. Um, but there were, like, basically, like, schools. They would take the kids. They would force them to go. They'd had to live there. They wouldn't let them speak their language. They wouldn't let them wear their cultural dress. They basically, the, the famous quote around that is, kill the Indian, save the man. Mm. Whoa. So their idea was like, we're just gonna westernize them mm -hmm. and that's gonna be better for them. And we're gonna teach them Christianity. And, but these places were horrifying. Yeah. Um, they just in Canada like found- Conversion camps. Yeah, conversion camps and taking really little kids away from their families. They just found this mass grave in Canada, like 2,000 bodies outside of what used to be when a is, When was that going on? Um, that was going on in the, like, I think late 19th and a large part of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like, if a person came in from the government to, like, take a child, that might be a social worker. like. Mm -hmm. Because social workers are also often agents of the government. Yeah. And so they can be the buffer of like, oh, we're human services. We're here uh, to like support you. They have like a guise that they're doing something great. But in that context, mm -hmm. they believed that they were doing the right thing. They yeah. believed, oh, like we need to save these people and teach oh my them God, Christianity. It sounds exactly like when the Europeans went into the Americas and yeah. were like converting everyone. It's like, or even in colonialism, like it's the white man's burden exactly. that we're like saving these people. We're teaching them Christianity. Exactly. And it's like, no, like look around. You're yeah. not helping helping anyone you're making everything worse yeah exactly so it's that's the other cool thing about history though right is it's like people are people are in the context that they have and so you know you can have two groups of people and we can look back and say that was obviously so wrong mm -hmm. but when you're living in it in the moment you know they thought they were doing the right thing that doesn't excuse the fact that they were like torturing and you know often like killing children yeah. or the fact that um you know, 
that's so disruptive to be removed from your culture and to be told that it's bad and wrong. Mm -hmm. So these kids would go back and they would feel to they wouldn't know they wouldn't know their own culture. They would be completely disconnected from it. They also weren't parented. I mean, they were put into schools and like horribly abused. So then they didn't know about how folks in their culture raised children. So, you know, you can look back and say those people did something wrong, but I feel like the most important thing is sort of saying, okay, well, those things happen, so how do we try to make it right mm -hmm. now? And to me, that's acknowledging that it happened and um, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking about earlier, like bringing that into how we teach about the history of our country, you know, instead of just not, like we, that's something that we should have learned about, that that happened. Yeah. And we just didn't because they don't teach it. Yeah, I, I read Black Elk, Black Elk Speaks, mm -hmm. and it was like it was pretty crazy to hear. Yeah. Like, I mean, that book is like written in a like pretty cr super creative way, and it's like to totally different. Um, but just like so much of that, I'd never heard about yeah. in school. Yeah. And I was like, I took I took U.S. history for like four years, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth grade were like all spent on U.S. history. Yeah. And I like, and it's just like talking about the war, like the Civil War, over and over again, and slavery, and like you don't hear about so many of like the interesting things. Like I'll go on Quora, and it's like these little things that like totally shift the way you think about things, and you just never hear them, except like unless you go out and like search for them right like that those piece of information like somehow need to be more readily available and you know even just shifting how we think about it like we learn if you learn about things like you know wounded knee or something mm -hmm. like that you know those those were maybe at the time they weren't given citizenship but that like the Native American people that were killed there like they're they're Americans like yeah. Native American people are Americans mm -hmm. but we're not taught about that like it's like it's ours we're not taught about those things in a way i probably just messed up the mic we're not taught about things in a way where populations that aren't white are like where that history is ours it's like the white folks versus those people yeah. and it's very sad that that happened to them yeah but it's a weird way that we framed it it's a very weird and yeah i mean and all of that exists to kind of prop up our our narratives about the history of our country and but like in some way, I feel like that narrative might serve like a beneficial purpose because, I mean, it might like if you th I mean, obviously not for like a few reasons, like just because of like that it's wrong, that it's incorrect and mm -hmm. it's wrong. But maybe a false narrative can sometimes be beneficial. Like how? Like, like say you believe that you can do anything. Mm -hmm. Like at the individual level, like maybe you'll be more likely to do something do something that actually like changes the world in a way yeah i mean i think that it, like you know faith is kind of a similar thing too where it's like if you really believe in a certain religion or like that can be super empowering for you that that can be supportive and positive um even if it's not sure even if it's not true definitely um but you know, if you then go and fight someone and get, you know, kill them or mm -hmm. fight someone and are really disparaging to them because they believe something different, like mm -hmm. then being all in on something that might be wrong causes harm. Definitely. So it's like, I think the question is like, does it cause harm? And believing, having, having the white community in the United States so strongly identify with our hist the white aspects of our history mm -hmm. and not with the aspects of our history that relate to other people causes so much harm. 
Yeah. I get... <sighs> to all of us. Mm-hmm. I wonder... I don't know how much good versus bad religion is done throughout time because you could look at it from so many different angles because like i think religion is what like was super important all throughout history just because like it existed and it was but like looking like analyzing it it makes sense because you have to like you're trying to explain the world right you're getting thrown in this wild situation and you're like some way trying to make sense of it so if like if you see a wild flash of lightning from the sky you don't know what it is like you don't have the science to understand it i, I still don't like i know that it exists Wait, but someone it's, knows. it's 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 like it's uh, it makes sense why you would say oh it's this it's this like idea of like a god something i don't really understand something that's above us that's controlling these things and so that makes sense and then at some point like like throughout the scientific revolution more and more and more of the world started to be able to be explained mm-hmm. with like facts and science yeah and so then that need for religion kind of diminished and then like what i like it kind of all accumulated in nietzsche saying god is dead and we have killed him mm. and the we have killed him part is us just getting smarter and understanding more about the world but like is there still a place for religion in the world today um absolutely i mean i think spiritual spiritual life is something that um you know theoretically people can really benefit from i think the problem is again when it comes like when it starts causing harm when you start like you know going real hard that your way is the right way and other people have it wrong instead of just being able to say like this is what i believe and it helps me that's what it that's this is what you believe and it helps you like great how wonderful that we are both able to be connected to spirit and something larger than ourselves mm-hmm. like you know that's fine but i do i think that so many organized religions because they did used to have to explain or try to explain things that they didn't understand um I think trying to use a religious framework to understand something like science um, is where we come into a lot of problems because we have other ways of understanding that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you know, hot button example is like abortion. Like we understand that there, it's a very this while before like a fetus is actually like a child that could live. Mm-hmm. Um, how many, do you know how many months like people I don't even know how would you say that like is that like would you would you be arguing when consciousness arises that's when it gets into a that's when it gets sticky but there is a certain there's a certain number of weeks where it's there's like a zero percent chance of mm-hmm. survival if you were to be born like you're not you're not con- you're not conscious and even uh-huh. if you were conscious you wouldn't be able to live outside mm-hmm. of the womb uh-huh. um, even with support and so if you look at that from a scientific perspective, I think that you can still really, you can still really value life and say, actually up to a certain point, the only person who's really alive is the mother. Mm -hmm. And so her needs should take priority or she should have the right to take, you know, take priority. Um, But so many folks use their religious framework to think about something that is essentially scientific. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's my, from my perspective where you can run into trouble or like where those two things like really clash mm-hmm. um yeah on the, the things that are like on the border between like like the things that we're still trying to discover like that we're currently working on like when i when i think of science and religion like i would think 
okay, there's so much that can be explained away by science, but then like there's still like like what happened what was there before the Big Bang? Right. I don't know. Don't like know. that that is like one way that like religion could come into like a way, my like way of thinking and it could be healthy because yeah. we don't know there's no answers and it's like gives you space to be creative and free and like think think crazy wild thoughts connect you everywhere yeah there's so much that we don't understand and that's that's beautiful like there's space for like magic and there's mm-hmm. space for not knowing and um we we're learning so much about you know how much how connected we are to each other and connected to our ancestors and you know, we know now that like intergenerational trauma exists, and um, so there's a lot that we still don't know. How does that work, intergenerational trauma? Um, I'm certainly not an expert on it, but basically, like they have looked at indigenous communities and they've looked at survivors of the Holocaust, and their descendants are sort of more likely to um, have certain markers or like mm-hmm. have. Um, in, I can't, I don't want to s- say the wrong thing. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I would think it's like just like them being in more difficult situations based on what happened to their ancestors. Y- yes. So there's like and the like societal, there's the societal reality of like this horrible thing happened and so we had to leave our home and, mm-hmm. you know, my parents were not as emotionally engaged as they might have been because they survived Auschwitz or like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But there's also, to my understanding, and I'm not a scientist, yeah. there's also like potentially like d- genetic. Mm-hmm. changes that can happen as a result of trauma that are then kind of carried through to future generations mm-hmm. so it's like external and internal mm-hmm. like that like you can even think about like that science versus religion like within ourselves because before we had like microscopes where we were able to we were able to study cells we had no idea what was really going on inside of us like we like either like gods were speaking through us or like we had a some type of soul that was connected mm-hmm. like and now we know like we know pretty much like the brain's kind of like the last frontier. I mean, Spencer would probably school me and say that everything I'm saying is wrong, but we know a, a hell of a lot. There are no professional scientists here. Yeah, so no, no just, scientists present. We We're both talking out of our ass. <laughs> um, All day. But it's like we know a lot about what's going on inside of us. Like, is there still room for the sp- spirituality piece, like, and religious piece, like, inside of us, like, at the individual level? Yeah, I think so. I mean, do you mean like in terms of like belief? Well, I don't know. I'm thinking about like, like wh- where does con- like that's like the, that's why they call it the hard problem of consciousness. Consciousness because like it's so it seems so impossible to think about because we really are like we're all made of atoms and then they come together to form cells and like where along that path does like the self reflective piece of you arise? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, it's and cool, and no one does. But that's like that's. I love thinking about it because there isn't an answer and bec- and because no one can say that I'm wrong about it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. We don't have answers about that. You know, it's like the cliche joke, but like we could all literally be in a video game. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. And that's cool. And I think that there's, I really appreciate all the stuff that we don't know. Um, and I think that there's, there's a lot of benefit from within yourself, like thinking about these things and thinking about how the ways that we're connected and I think religion can be a way to do that. Do you think, like, in in acknowledging how much you don't know, it kind of, like, takes some pressure off of you to perform because you realize, like, how, uh, like, how much is out of your control, kind of, and how much you don't know? Um, or do you think that, like, makes it even, even scarier because then you, like, realize that you're going into this world blind, kind of? 
to me, it takes the pressure off. I think other people might have a different response, but to me, it takes the pressure off. I'm just like, okay, there's a lot that I don't know. All I can do is the best I can do. Yeah, that's like the like the simulation thing that you were talking about. Like, if we really are, like, some type some type of like simulated entities. Like, I feel like it takes the pressure off me in multiple ways. One, we're in like a closed system yeah. that someone that like doesn't really like matter in some way. Yeah. And, and then like then it forces me to create my own meaning like which is what these philosophers after like after Nietzsche said God is dead basically they're like all right like well what are what is, what's there to replace what's there to replace religion yeah. and I think like the answer is that you have to create your own like kind of sort of religion like your own meaning your own connection with everything because no it's not like approve uh, there's no proven like ideology that's right right so you have to kind of amend it to like what works best for you yeah and I mean I think there's also I you know I'm not I'm also not an expert in this but I think that you're right that there's like a lot of power in kind of individualizing your beliefs instead of being like okay well which thing that someone else has already come up with am I gonna buy into 100% and I also think that there are that's also like a kind of like a western individualized perspective of like I just need to figure this out for my for myself and I again I'm not an expert but I think that there are other other places and other cultures where there's like a the community experience of religion um, plays a role that doesn't get um, doesn't get touched upon if you're just thinking about it in like an individualized way or there's like a there's a way that it is very American to be like well I'm just gonna go in and learn about all the religions and then like pick and choose what works for me Hmm. Um, but are you saying that you think you like that or you don't like that I think I personally am more like that yeah personally me too me too um, sorry I touched my thing again no it's fine I don't Um, think it even picks it up I personally am more like that like I don't feel any I don't feel any pressure to subscribe to any aspect of any religion that uh-huh. I don't believe in yeah um, but I read an article for school um, and I don't remember what it was called and I don't remember the argument very well but they were talking about how that's like a that approach to spirituality can can leave some folks out or can um, it can be like a privilege to feel like you can go into these um, religions or other like other beliefs and kind of just and like pick and choose. yeah pick like but cherry I feel like pick that's what the you whole want point. yeah i mean i think it's like the frameworks aren't meant to be taken like so literally i feel like they're meant to be like adjusted and changed and like evolved over time mm-hmm. so it's like oh you almost have a responsibility to do what you're talking about and i think what this article was talking about is like we as white people have the ability to just be like you know i'm spiritual um, but does it does it land the same way and is it is it as safe a place for someone who's from another country or like an immigrant from China you know is there um, is there some potential like harm to them or a way that they are left out of a conversation if it's like kind of better to ch- if like the if it becomes better to cherry pick mm-hmm. and not to subscribe to the whole religion mm-hmm. like is that is that um, putting 
sort of like more individualized Western white folks in a position of privilege because they can kind of just like do whatever they want and like that same freedom isn't necessarily afforded to someone from another culture. Again, that, that individual piece you're talking about, like with Western religions, I would I almost think about it like as being the complete opposite. Not Western religion with like like Western individualism. Western approach to religion. Western approach to life. Yeah. You know, like in, in, in Asia, I'm sure you know, but like in like certain Asian countries, like you your your place in your family and in society and in your culture is way more important than like your own individual self. Like you exist you exist for your community. Yeah, like China, like you exist for the state to right. better the state. Or yeah, or the other place that I've heard of that I think is like this is like Japan or like Korea. It's like you, you know, it's like a stereotype or whatever, but like bringing shame on your family, uh -huh. it's a huge deal. It's a huge problem. Uh -huh. And people will do a lot to avoid that in a way where I feel like in the United States, kind of being a rebel and breaking off and doing your own thing. It's cool. It's cool and encouraged, yeah. you know? You can come to the United States and you can be anything that you want to be. You mm -hmm. can leave where you're from, come here, mm -hmm. and you know, the streets are paved with gold, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's really encouraged individualism, like, and kind of putting yourself first mm -hmm. is really encouraged, or like moving out of your home when you turn 18, mm -hmm. you know? In a lot of places, you don't move out till you get married. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about like the split between the religions, like, I, I, I've heard this before, this isn't like original, but I, I thought about it a lot, um, was that like the Western religion was ki is kind of more set up around like scripture and mm -hmm. prayer mm -hmm. versus Eastern religions are more set up around like what I would call self-dissection, like looking within yourself and like meditation and those things that like, I feel like Michael's like way more into Eastern religion mm -hmm. than Western religion, like oh, for yeah. those reasons. Yeah. Because, Absolutely. but that's like what, like when I think of like individualism, like mm -hmm. that I think I associate individualism more with Eastern religion than Western. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think that's a really good point. And it's like that's how I, like I feel way more like drawn to that that way of doing mm -hmm. it because it's so it's not like like when I'm in like when I'm in school and I'm just being like taught to repeat things or like take notes like that's like the most boring thing for me. It's like. I, I, what I like doing is like learn, like seeing all the perspectives, learning about it, and then like kind of coming to my own conclusions or like debating with other people about the conclusions they came to, because mm -hmm. it feels so much more like, like I don't know, helpful, real, beneficial. Like, well, it's more you're engaging more instead mm -hmm. of just receiving. Yeah. Yeah. But so much of like all of Christianity was was set up around, like, the passing on of the same ideas. Mm -hmm. There's almost no room for what we're talking about, for like the evolution of ideas. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Western, yeah, Western organized religion, like Judeo-Christian religions are, they're, they're hardcore and they're very controlling. Um, so I, t I totally see your point. But clearly there's something beneficial in them if they're one of the main frameworks for setting up society and uh, Judeo-Christian uh, dominated places like are doing so damn well. I mean, yeah, I think that there's, it makes sense, like we were talking about before, it makes sense that these things um, appeared because people needed structure and they needed some understanding of how things worked. Mm. Um, and I think if you think about the Catholic Church, like they just, they became enormously powerful, mm. enormously wealthy, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, were operating alongside 
royalty basically mm -hmm. in deciding yeah, what people could more hegemonic do. than royalty for like most of European history um, but in terms of you know being successful you know I was thinking about this when we were picking blueberries like in in indigenous communities here you know the, so much of the approach is like we are not here to dominate we are a part of a larger ecosystem and so you know we engage with nature and with animals in a way where we're all a part of the same system the systems approach, we're not yeah. even at a hierarchy where human mm -hmm. beings are at the top and every mm -hmm. everything else is there for our enjoyment which mm -hmm. is the western approach mm -hmm. um so if you if you look at the world from the perspective of like, oh, like we're at the top of the food chain, everything else is ripe for the then taking. Then it makes sense like why you give so little thought to climate change or like, or like uh, taking advantage of other people because it's almost like your responsibility to, it's your right to. It's your right to and like your- If um, you set it up that way in your head. If you set it up that way in your head, yeah. And you know, there was for a very long time. I mean, I think that there still has been a different way, but it's just like completely unquestioned idea that like it's our job to dominate yeah. nature. Yeah. Like, and it's fun <laughs> and it's yeah. cool yeah. and you can dominate nature and like that's a sign of like humanity's greatness uh -huh. and we're seeing, we're seeing we, the catastrophic effects. We're of seeing the catastrophic effects of that. Yeah. yeah. And like, like we might be fucked. Like, yeah. We might be like legit. There's so many things right now. Like the only, like kind of the only hope I have for is techno with exponential growth of technology paired with like some some shift in some shift in future generations of being able to like really unify and and like set out clearly to like conquer some objective goals because if not like if you're not if we're not unified around stopping these problems they're just going to happen and we're all gonna we're all gonna die i mean they're already happening right yeah it's supposed to be 105 degrees in portland oregon this weekend yeah and so it's like like no one is re everyone says they care but no one really cares well i think that i think they care or people care to different extents but we it's again it's a systemic problem which is like when they started making so many things with plastic my understanding of it is that they knew that there was very little that we were going to be able to do to recycle that but mm -hmm. like they could sell more stuff if yeah, they used or plastic. like the gas companies like i i think like the exxon like exxon scientists in like the f 40s and 50s like knew how bad things were going to get yeah and like they had project projections and the people and like everyone in the company knew about it but they were like no we're just going to keep doing it because it's great for and us and right what now. we're told is recycle yeah like what we're told is actually you can affect change on an individual level huh. when that's not it's not bad to recycle, mm -hmm. but what needs to change like is drop in the but what drop. needs to change is like fossil fuels. What yeah. needs to change is huge corporations being able to do whatever they want. And mm -hmm. so, I think people people care, but it's really really hard to know what to do. It's really hard to put that into effect. Um, and there is a lot of information that's sort of telling us, oh well, if you do this, it'll make a difference because the big companies that are actually really perpetuating this problem don't don't want us to all mobilize against them mm -hmm. it's a lot easier if it's like well you should be recycling more mm -hmm. you that if you yeah. if you only did that it saved the, the earth yeah. yeah just put the blame on the individual and we that happens in our society all the time mm -hmm. like so many of the problems that we face as a society are put on the individual when it is a systemic problem but like then how do you go about addressing the systemic problem because it's so difficult to 
change like change the ways of the people in power yeah that's like why the people in power like why nothing changes because it's clearly like they're it's working for them like the like the people that are like the big companies that are making all the money like they're still making money right now despite yeah. like that the whole world disagrees with what they're doing basically right. yeah like how do you how do you stop how do you solve systemic problems like as an individual um i mean i think like community engaging with i'm certainly not an expert but engaging with community like the more isolated we are and how we try to solve these problems the less effective that we are um, I think understanding and building our own capacity to see the ways that these things are systemic because um, we're not taught that they are. Um, and so kind of like developing your own individual ability to look at something and be like, is this really, is this really about what the dominant narrative is saying it is about? Or is there something larger and systemic going on? Because as you start to think about the world in that way, it becomes a lot clearer how many things are like that. Um, so I think on an individual level, if we learn about the ways that our words at world actually functions, if we find community and engage in activism around those issues with mm. people who know about them, um, and if we really make a concerted effort to um, prioritize a wide variety of people, mm. like there need to be the folks who live near the oil refineries mm -hmm. giving their opinions about like what we what we should do to improve climate change mm -hmm. you know like if we if we put industry and we put fossil fuel processing plants in the poorest neighborhoods because mm -hmm. those are the only people who can't do anything about it that's smart you know if that's that's really smart it's really smart so if you're a person they don't have a voice they don't have a voice you know you put that in Beverly Hills, uh -huh. you're gonna hear about it. Yeah. And they have power and they have money and uh -huh. they're gonna be able to change Damn, it. Damn, that's smart. So, you know, and that happens all over the country and people have, people in low income areas with these processing plants have way worse outcomes. They have, they have cancer, they have mm -hmm. kids getting sick. Yeah. Like you think about Flint, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. again, if that was Beverly Hills, that would oh not that would not be happening yeah, it would yeah they would it wouldn't they wouldn't let it happen because they would know like the extent of the backlash they would face would be exponentially more just because those people have money yeah so being skeptical like being skeptical of what we're told being skeptical of why things are done the way that they're done and whose voice is not being heard mm -hmm. yeah that doesn't solve the problem but at least it like creates a framework through which to view the world which might make access to ways to solve the problem easier yeah like is can you solve a problem without being actionable like is like right like would like writing and sharing your opinion like sharing different like frameworks in which to view the world like you could make the argument that like oh that's doing a whole lot of good because one you could you could scale it really easily and that could like go in turn like whatever you were going to do like if you were going to become a lawyer and, and try to like a environmental lawyer um then you would enact some sort of change hopefully you would hope um at the individual level or maybe you'll band together in a group and try to get make some real change but then like say you're like a writer or someone who becomes really popular who creates this new framework for people to all work around you could argue that like like the writing path is far less like actionable and like practical i feel like in some way but also like it has the opportunity if it's like done well and it works out to uh, like affect the most change. Yeah, I mean, have you ever read anything by Octavia Butler? No, but my, I think my mom just did and uh, 
she really liked Dead Man. Yeah, so Octavia Butler was a black woman who wrote science fiction. Um, and she used her, um, she used the fact that she was sort of in this, in the future, writing in the future, writing about the future, writing about things that hadn't happened yet to explore um, ideas around like what could community look like and what could society look like and mm -hmm. what direction is our society heading. A lot of the questions that people use in science fiction mm -hmm. um, or explore in science fiction. Mm -hmm. So she wrote this book called The Parable of the Sower yeah. and uh, The Parable of the Talents. There's uh -huh. two of them. Um, and it's set in like 2020. It's prescient as hell. Like you feel like this this woman maybe had a crystal ball to see some of the things When was that she happened. writing? Um, I think it came out in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like in the 80s, maybe 70s, 80s, and 90s when mm -hmm. she was writing. I think she died in the 2000s, beginning mm -hmm. in the 2000s, somewhere around there, 2010. Uh -huh. um, it, it, all, it makes me question like why, like, like that book is super popular right now. Like yeah. what, what's causing the resurgence? Like um, what is speaking to people about what she was saying? I think, I mean, it is of, I'm not a big sci-fi person or dystopian person, but there, in the second book, there's literally a presidential candidate whose slogan is Make America Great Again. I heard about that. Like, it's, there are some things that are so on the nose, so I think that's a part of the reason, is people are reading it and we're like, oh damn, this is what's happening. I think also there's been more awareness around like reading books by people that aren't white men. Mm -hmm. And so she's like a black woman in the sci-fi space. There are others, but she was mm -hmm. sort of the, like the grandmother oh, of yeah. like black female sci-fi writers mm -hmm. um, and she's an incredible writer like mm -hmm. she's an incredible writer it's mm -hmm. ridiculous that I didn't hear about her until I was 28 years old mm -hmm. you know like that's that's wrong how much time have I spent hearing about Ernest Hemingway mm -hmm. so much and like he's fine but there are a lot oh, of other great. people yeah Hemingway. he's fine he's great but like you know there's we've only heard about like very how would you address things. the like like there's this canon of literature that like these hundred or two hundred books that like almost everyone reads. Like that's one of those things that like it's so it seems like it's super set in stone, mm. and it's like kind of up to the like English teachers to like change it. But they also have like like I don't, I don't quotas is not the right word, but like specific things that they need to teach. Like, well, okay, so remind me. I'm gonna answer your first question about mm -hmm. the writing and making changing the world, but yeah. like remind me about the water bottles. Okay, okay. got it. So I was talking about Octavia Butler with Parable of the Sower, and in that book, one of the characters um, creates a religion, mm -hmm. um, and the sort of the core of that religion is God is change. Um, and so in oh. the resurgence of her writing, other writers and other thinkers have um, latched onto that and read her writing from a new perspective. And so there's something called Emergent Strategy, um, which is a book written by a black woman um, about like how to run organizations, how to be um, like developing like a strategy that's based around what em emerges. Yeah. Um, and all of that is rooted in the the fictional writing of Octavia Butler. Huh. So it's a, it was like a very trendy book a couple years ago. Like everyone was reading Emergent Strategy. Uh -huh. And it's about how to engage in the real world, how to facilitate in a certain way, how to build your organization in a certain way that's different from how it's been done. Mm -hmm. And all of, all of the thinking around it em emerged from a sci-fi novel written wow. by this woman. 
Yeah. And we spoke to someone the other day um, who started a farm and it's called, it's supposed to be, she's a black woman, it's in Sonoma. It's gonna be a place where folks can come and learn and benefit from the land because there's mm -hmm. um, just like a huge lack of like black landowners and black mm -hmm. farmers. Um, even though black folks were like the OG. the people, yeah, the people who like made this country and were farming this country for hundreds of years. Um, and she named the farm uh, Earthseed, which is the name of the place that the character that made the religion in that book wants to create for herself. So that's an example of, you know, a piece of fiction where someone is trying to think about the real world and think about how they want the world to be and they put it in a fictional book and then other people read that and start to turn it into something that's actionable and real in the real world. Mm. Um, so I think that... That's what my guy in my book does. He starts his own religion too. Oh yeah? Or he's, well, at least he's trying, or it like catches on once he becomes, well, like it's, it's not fully finished yet. Like I'm all, I'm almost getting there. That's I'm almost awesome. there. But like, I want him to become a martyr for the thing he, things he believes in. Cause I think that's like the highest, the highest possible thing you can do. Yeah. If you be, if you become a martyr for like positive ideals and that like after your death, they like grow exponentially and like actually go on to change the world like that. That's almost like the highest thing I can imagine a human being hmm. being able to do. What if it what if it didn't make a change? What if they died for that reason and it didn't make a change? Well, then it's just like everyone else that's ever died hmm. who's been trying to do something and then got swept under. Interesting. Like, I guess you just ha kind of have to take that chance. Mm -hmm. And it's like a huge, huge risk. Yeah. And like, I, I guess like part that's like the sacrifice piece. Like mm. maybe you're going to sacrifice everything and you're just going to die and nothing's going to ever happen and no one's going to remember you. And yeah. like, I guess part of that is like accepting that that's a real possibility. Yeah. But like, um, this, uh, the, sorry, the, no, no, this, this guy's like the main, the main thing is like what I said, like what I said before, like self dissection, I think is like, the, is so important. It's like, cause I think there's so many truths that you can find like with looking within yourself. Like that's definitely like this Eastern religious influence on me, like the philosophy side of it. Like, I think there's so much you can learn by like going within yourself. And if that happened at scale and mm -hmm. people like were talking about it, like if they're like, if people were like constantly really trying to understand themselves, and everyone was doing that. And then they go out and all talk to each other. Then you'd be able to like really un understand a hell of a lot because it's like getting all of these, it's like getting all of the most honest opinions people can formulate mm -hmm. and then combining them and mashing them and seeing like what, em what emergent properties result out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they're willing to be open and not start saying, well, no, no, but I figured out this thing and that's actually what's right and what you, what you think is wrong. Mm, yeah. Which with human beings is not always possible. Yeah. Why isn't that always possible? Um, or is just like, is it natural for human beings I, yeah. to just like want, like want kind of like just want to maintain, maintain the status quo, like not have to change their ideas. Like, is it like a power thing? It probably is some type some type of like power play just like they can assert. I don't, I don't know. know. Humans are so weird. I mean, I always think it's funny in the different places that I've lived. It's like, humans are definitely very suspicious of people that are different from them that they haven't encountered before. But there's also like, people also seem to be like the most suspicious of whatever community isn't theirs that's right next to them. Like when I lived in London, like people in North London 
were like, oh, I never go to South London. It's so weird down there. I feel like it's literally the same city. Huh. Like, <laughs> like what, like what is going on? Huh. But it's, I'm always, I always find it so funny where it's like a town is just like in some random state will just like hate the neighboring town huh. in a random, in that same state. And it's like, yeah. you literally could not be closer yeah. to anyone like than you are these people. people. Yeah, yeah, two groups of people that are, could not be more uh -huh. similar. But of course, because they're right nearby and they're not your little group, uh -huh. they're who you have that's to kind of. That's the, that's the tribalism piece. Yeah. Like I love looking at things like through the evolutionary lens because it makes so much damn sense. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Like, obviously, like, you're living in your little squad of 150 people, like, you're doing all right, like, they're, you're hunting and gathering, and then, like, another squad of 150 people, like, runs up on you. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to be like, all right, I'm going to protect my people, and if it comes to it, I'm going to kill all of those people, right. including the women and children. Right. To protect my own. Yeah. And it's like, that, that basis, of, like, we're still those same people. Like, this is kind of <laughs> what me and Anthony were talking about, before, like, last night. We are talking about, like, we're the same people just kind of, like, pushed into a different situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. And so, like, when you see these people, like, cr the crazy stuff going on in the world, it's like, yeah, that makes sense in some way. Yeah. Because you, we're still savages. Yeah. We're kind of just, like, like, wild animals pretending that we're civilized. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> What's the water bottle thing? Oh, the water bottle thing is, so when I first moved here, I went to Powell's. And they have like uh, water bottles that you reusable water bottles, oh. and one of them was like literature grates, and at different amounts of water, different ounce marks, they had different authors' names. And so I bought it. I thought it was cute, and then I looked at it, and there were two, None. two or th three women. Everyone else was a man, and one person that wasn't white. Mm -hmm. And so it was like Hemingway, Wolf. Um, Bronte, Salinger, you know, whatever the names were. Yep. The only person that was not white was Toni Morrison, uh -huh. and her name was at the bottom. Oh, perfect. So four ounces, like the smallest amount was Toni Morrison. Um, and I never really loved that. I was like, well, there's a lot of other authors. So I bought, I went to Powell's the other day, and I bought the new one that they made, which is everything is the same, except they've changed the authors on the back. And now... I, th I can't remember who it is, but there's like one or one or two white men on there and oh. everyone else is a woman or a black individual or an Asian person or there's just a lot more diversity. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, what you, I've said to remind me of that because you were saying, you know, if there's the canon and this is what you're supposed to teach people, mm -hmm. um, what do you do about that? Well, change, like change it. Yeah. Change it. We don't, we do not need to read Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. If you want to read Moby Dick, yeah. go with God. Read Moby Dick. Yeah. It's, you know, that, that, that's great for you. But, mm -hmm. like, if you don't identify or wish to identify um, enough with, like, a white guy trying, like, a tormented white man, like, trying to hunt down a whale, and mm -hmm. you would rather read a book about someone who's a little bit more like you, mm -hmm. um, like, you should do that. You should read Toni Morrison or... Um, you know, whatever, whatever Octavia Butler or whatever. I don't. I think the canon is like needs to be changed. If you would, if you if you had to recommend like a book or a few books that you think everyone could benefit from, is that is that too impossible? Because books, like, are the point is to speak to like a more targeted audience, and not everyone is going to be able to relate to every character. 
is it even, like would it be possible to recommend a book that w could in some way be great for everyone um, I think that it I think that it would probably be if you're thinking every like literally everyone like anyone around the world like if it was well, maybe, translated into their language uh -huh. or do you mean just the United States well I mean when you were just I, I don't even I don't even know what I, I meant mm -hmm. um, but like I was thinking like the alchemist is like a story that is like so it seems so universal right it's like it's both vague enough and universal enough where like a lot of people because there's like it's talking about like the the hero's journey like the mission that you're going on, like and everyone that is born mm -hmm. like whether it's fighting for your survival or trying to come up with some meaning in replace of religion like you're on some type of journey and it can speak to so like when i when i was like when I, that i guess would be an answer to my own question yeah and you know if a person were reading the alchemist and it was very hard for them to identify with a male character uh -huh. like there really aren't I haven't read it all the way through but Michael talks about this a lot how there are like two female characters in the book and yeah. neither of them have personalities definitely not a feminist feminist right. book but also like you could imagine like you can that's like taking the framework and adjusting it for yourself like you don't have to imagine the main character as male no you to you totally don't and I think that in the United States women we are trained, we're conditioned to see whatever we can find of ourselves, even if the character is male. Most of the content that I consumed when I was growing up, most of the, like, the great movies or the great books male were about, by men and about men. Mm -hmm. And so I read books that were about men and I was like, yeah, like I see myself in this. and Because mm -hmm. you kind of have to. Because you have to. You don't really have a choice. Men are not conditioned in the same way yeah they if a movie because they don't have because they don't have to and if a movie has all women in it they're like oh it's a chick flick and like there's no they can just write off anything that doesn't have a man in it because there's so much to pull from that does uh -huh. and women can't do that hmm. so yeah i can totally do that but like you know should we have to yeah hmm. i don't know like how would like i think there uh, i was talking to some someone then it was and they were taking like a intro to women's studies mm -hmm. and they were like the the uh, like one characteristic or like i guess the main character in, characteristic in like a feminist book or movie would be for there to be what, what did they say like more than two characters that like oh, the have Bechdel frequent test. conversations with each other or something like that what is it the Bechdel test the Bechdel test the Bechdel test is um are are there female characters? Do they speak to each other? Uh -huh. And do they speak to each other about something that is not a man? Yeah. So do two yeah. female characters have a conversation about, about something, something that is not a male character or a man? Uh -huh. And so many movies fail it. Uh -huh. So many movies fail it. Okay, what, would something pass the Bechdel test if it only, if it was like one, say like, so say there was like a dinner party in, within a book mm -hmm. and there were two female, female characters there and they were having a conversation other than, about something other than a man. Yeah. Would that then make it a feminist book? No. 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 It doesn't, Does it no, it doesn't like, make it a feminist book. It just, that, I mean. Or it passes that test. Would it, it pass that test? Right. I mean, the Bechdel test is like, like, is like bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like that's the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Like, are there two women who talk yeah, about something that's, that's not a man? Yeah, like, that's nothing. And that's what's so, I think that's why people talk about it so much. Because, is because of how often it doesn't get met? What a low bar it is yeah. and how often it doesn't get met. Wow. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah like I mean you think about like I I would be interested to look at like any Quentin Tarantino movie mm -hmm. and see if it passes probably Kill Bill mm -hmm. does um, but maybe not because maybe she's just talking to the other women about how she wants to kill Bill I don't remember mm -hmm. but like so many things that especially that I grew up with and that like you grew up with too and it'll be different I think for our younger family members mm -hmm. but yeah that's what it's, imagine seeing a movie where two men don't have a conversation about anything except for the female character and like they probably don't interact very much and you know they're like no like, there are very know, few very few very yeah. few movies that 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 fall, fall into that category mm -hmm. so yeah like what I'm, what I'm hearing, what I'm here. well, no, this is kind of completely unrelated, but it's like a, a synthesis type thing. It's like, you you kind of just have to be, like, do what you can. Because, like, really you can't do that much. Like, you're so limited as as an individual, especially, like, the normal human being. Yeah. Like, doesn't really have, like, that much capacity to affect, like, global, has virtually no capacity to affect uh, global change. I think... Yes and no. I mean, I think this idea that, like, a silver bullet for anything will be, like, the one right person solving yeah. the problem mm -hmm. um, is not the most effective way to think about problem solving. Uh -huh. Because in reality, problems don't get solved that way. Yeah, and it seems, like, way le like statistically less likely. Yeah, statistically it's less likely. And that's, like you said, like, we're just, like, one individual in a much larger, you much larger it, yeah. ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you... you it's very rare for someone to be the person who changes something. Mm -hmm. But I also think that like acting with the determination of someone who, f like you, you can affect change. Mm -hmm. And even small change mm -hmm. is important. And cause maybe that one small change is the first brick in a, a giant pyramid that's that will change the world. Yeah, or you know, even just the fact that you're embodying the spirit of someone who believes that they, you know, the the trash cleanup that you do mm -hmm. like that makes a difference that makes a practical difference mm -hmm. just because you're doing it you're doing it, it also makes a difference because you are bringing community members in to do it with you mm -hmm. and so they are all like experiencing it and recognizing their own ability to make a difference and other people are that aren't participating in it are seeing you all do that maybe they're benefiting from it or maybe they're just saying oh hey like this guy just like made this thing and now people are doing it and it's actually making a difference mm -hmm. and that plants the seed that that's possible. Mm -hmm. It's like if you if you think about the world as like humans embodying competing worldviews, then just by believing or like just by your belief without even doing anything, as long as like you propagate it in some way, you are like facilita facilitating the passing on of like hopefully morals that you like you've studied and think are true and that's that's affecting change in a way too because maybe you're not the right person like the person suited to solve a specific problem but maybe someone uh in the future who you influenced to think in a certain way will be the one to solve that problem yeah and it's not you know it's not mind control like the number of times i've had conversations with people where they're like oh yeah you said something to me five years ago that really got me thinking about xyz and now i do this instead of that like that's it's, amazing. It's not even that I said you should do this. I just it's said just like something in conversation with them. Throwing a little seed at them, and then they are the one that does and, do everything. And then they took, they did something with it that I didn't even think about. Yeah. You know. And so I think just like showing up in, showing up in your relationships and showing up in your community and doing the best you can, mm -hmm. like can actually make, 
a really big difference. That's like, it's so weird to start these things because you kind of just have to start somewhere mm. and it's like not going to be the right place. There's never going to be a right topic to start on. Beca but like, that's the point. The point is to, to not stay on that first thing. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe I throw out a question and you instantly say, well, no, I don't really, I don't even know what I would say to that. But there's another thing over here that I would love to talk about. Yeah. And that like, and if you didn't throw out that first thing, if you didn't take the, like the risk, the, the fear of embarrassment of throwing out the wrong thing, starting in a weird, awkward way that the people wouldn't like, then you would, then you would never have given the, it's like taking yourself out of it. Like you have to like allow, think you, like maybe I have to fail to allow someone else to succeed even bigger. Oh yeah. I mean, trying to control, trying to control the, what, like the outcomes of things really mm -hmm. aggressively, you know, sometimes it works. Seems and, like, but also like so much work for. It's so, it's so much work for something that you actually can't really yeah, can't, yeah. control. And yeah. there's all of these other potential outcomes that are from some things that are, that are outside of your control. You just were being yourself and doing, making your best choice and sometimes failure brings about the most important amazing changes individually community level i think you're absolutely right yeah that's like the collapse like you have to have that collapse of the of the old of the old way to like give give new like give a space for that new the new ideas to come out of yeah and i mean ev like this is such a cliche but like i have learned so much more from the things that i did wrong yeah. than from the things that i did right and that's because, like, me and Anthony were talking about, like, how how much, like, more visceral it is when you're, like, forced, when, like, when you make a mistake and it actually affects you. Like, you are forced to figure out what happened. Yeah. Versus, like, if you hear something and someone's teaching you something, you can understand it, but it's not, like, you're, like, it's, like, forced upon you or, like, yeah. it's urgent in some way. It's just, yeah, I mean, when, when you make a mistake it you you your brain is like oh okay i need to figure out how to it's like touching a hot a thing, yeah. thing you know yeah. you're like oh shit i'm yeah, never i, I am never again. doing that again yeah i'm gonna be very careful mm -hmm. um so i think yeah being being told something and experiencing it is just really different yeah and then you think about like what is school yeah well i mean and that's why school's so weird it's just like we have kids so often they just go sit like from like what second grade on they're just like sitting and at a desk and like vast majority yeah being told what to do and mm -hmm. um but now i mean even when i was working at the the school i feel like they do do things to try to like help at least kids like get up and like get yeah. in your body a little bit um which is a lot better than just sitting all day but you still you know you can learn something five times they can tell you how to do something and then when you're confronted with it you're like oh wait like it all seems so easy uh -huh. on paper but actually putting it into practice is just I think it's a different skill yeah what is that skill I don't know putting being able to actually put things into practice it's almost like being actionable but I think it's different well it's like you can understand especially doing the degree I just did which is you know it's like a practical degree like you're learning clinical skills and then you're using the clinical skills in a session and understanding, you know, I had to learn the, the theory behind a certain type of therapy, then I had to put it into practice. And like learning the theory was definitely the first step. I wouldn't have been able to put it into practice if I didn't understand that. But mm -hmm. then what actually works, 
you know, if you're sitting there trying to explain a behavioral theory mm-hmm. to an 11 year old, yeah, like it's nothing. That's like what actually works. What will actually land for them? What can they? Mm-hmm. What can they hear? So I feel that's like that's like the emotional intelligence piece that you were talking about. Like in that situation, you would be able to really like assess if like you were given if you put a hundred people in that same situation. You, I feel like that would be uh, like a measurable way to test their emotional intelligence because it's like it's difficult to talk about like emotional intelligence because it's so hard to measure it yeah it's amorphous yeah and it's especially like so many of the most important things are really hard to measure Mm -hmm. and then it like almost invalidates it because we're so like statistically minded and scientific if there's not a way to measure it and compare it does it even exist right of course yeah but we just can't like it's hard to speak about it objectively yeah but there are like objective repercussions of people of people like exhibiting those traits. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't and I'm sure that researchers somewhere have figured out how to try to approximate measuring something like that or but yeah, they do their best, but there's some stuff that's just much harder to quantify and I think anything relating to personality yeah. is harder to quantify in my um my science like elective thing that i did this year was like kind of like a capstone like free project thing i was i was like looking at the measure the way they measure like the accuracy of like natural language processing systems like basically like computers coming up with like trans like google translate would be the one like how siri works like basically comparing like how um how a computer creates a sentence versus like how we would want it to and then like comparing that but it it only compares like the main one they use it's called the blue score it compares this uh computer generated sentence to a single human reference sentence Mm. and it's like language is so like complex and like arbitrary sometimes and you can say things in so many different ways that like basically my project was showing that like two sentences that have or three sentences that have the same exact meaning could get like a zero for a score versus sentences that have uh, that have no like meaning whatsoever. They're not the same at all. They're not. They d- doesn't make any sense. Can get a perfect score because like the measurement system is so flawed. Right. And yeah. it's like that. That's another example. Like it's all like anything like super deeply human. Like language, art, creativity. Like all of these things are super hard to measure, and yet they're like the most important things that need the measuring. Yeah. Yep. And even if we do, you know, even if you think about something like, you know, like the SAT, mm-hmm. and that's theoretically supposed to measure someone's... Or like ab- the IQ test. Yeah. Theoretically, those things are supposed to measure things that are maybe a little bit more intangible, like people's mm-hmm. ability for things. But depending on who the context that you grow up in, mm-hmm. those are, you know, if for like a, a middle class white person, SAT might be a decent measure of that, even though there are some things that might not be able to measure. But if you're from a different community or a different culture... Um, it's not for you. It's not aimed, not focused for you. And so you will do worse. Oh yeah. Me and Willa did a whole project on why the SAT is so flawed because it literally just reinforces that same like money will get you it because it's like the think about like me who had plenty of time to study like was able to afford a tutor and I scored really well like Mm -hmm. in in addition to just like naturally being like on this like doesn't matter. You're a smart guy. But 
then you compare it to like a kid in my same situation. Like the first time I took it, I did pretty. I got like a twelve hundred or something, and then at the end, I got like a like high fourteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Like it's a massive difference just based on like the tutoring and studying that I was able right. to do because of like the situation that I was born into and like the opportunities I have. Completely unfair. Versus a kid that has like works a job after school and takes care of his brother and doesn't have and can't afford tutoring. And is like just busy constantly because exactly. he's like surviving. Exactly. Like, that that doesn't take into account any of those factors, and it's just like the more time you're able to dedicate to it, will totally change like the outcome of it. Exactly. It's like maybe like, maybe it should just be your first go at it. I mean, but even the content of the questions, yeah. even the content of the questions, is focused towards someone like you or someone like me, and is mm-hmm. not. Um, is not necessarily focused towards someone, you know, that's from like a, like a low income black family, for mm-hmm. example. And if you change, they've done studies where like, if you change the wording on tests to have them to make it like more relatable, to make it more relatable, to make it more, um, like even just like using like a word that's like more dominantly used in like one community than another, okay. um, folks do better. Uh-huh. They do better. It's like a very similar test, but they've just changed kind of who the target is for. Wow. All of a sudden, like, you know, a kid that might not have done as well on the SAT huh. for cultural reasons are doing better. And like you and I are doing a really bad job on uh-huh. it. Um, I never would have thought that the cultural context of the questions would have resulted in like actual changes in scores. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I mean, cr- you would be amazed at the stuff that impacts scores. Like interviewing like interviewing a person um that's from a non-white population interviewing them about the things that they're proud of or like having them write a paragraph about the things they're proud of in their culture before having them take a standardized test they do better huh like there's so many psychological factors that goes into performance on stuff like that and you know being systemic systematically like excluded um, at all of these different points that you've just described, like mm-hmm. that has an impact that is that goes beyond even just like changing the language in the test or like um, being able to act. You know, like if everyone had equal access to SAT prep, like they're yeah. still just that's like the, my. I think the 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 thing we should be aiming for, definitely in terms of education, like let alone like job opportunity and all that stuff, is equality of opportunity, because it's like maybe maybe everyone isn't isn't so equal for whatever reason, whether it's cultural or like genetic, whatever. But give everyone a fair shot and let them compete. And because uh, it's already so skewed like towards the people with like with money and power to begin with. Yeah. At least give the kids like a more equal shot so they can they have the opportunity if they are able to to rise to the top. Yeah. Cuz if not then you're you're missing out on so 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 much talent that could that could be utilized if you just had if you were just like conducting this like uh like contest type thing in a different way yeah and i mean and that would need to factor in sort of all these unspoken things Mm -hmm. right because like like i was saying like if you if someone if if the difference is oh well just everyone gets sat prep Mm -hmm. that's still not actually a quality of opportunity because someone from one community might be coming in with all of these other factors that are negatively Im- impacting their lives mm-hmm. that another person might not have. So like, how do you, how do you adjust for those things? Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I mean, how do you adjust for those things? Like it's, it's freak, it's hard. It's difficult to like, that's like, you could make the argument that like, it's, it's supposed to reinforce the hierarchy or whatever, or the patriarch, like whatever, like, you could say that. But really the reason is because it's easier. 
to not it like it's it's difficult to incorporate the unspoken things so like it makes sense why they're not there we just like have to go in with the ideal of wanting to somehow do better yeah it's easier especially because the people whose feedback is being heard are the people who aren't having to deal with the downsides uh-huh. of it yeah. a lot of the time it's right it's like this people without a voice right yeah like set the, set the oil rigs up in their in their backyard right i mean they have a voice people just don't listen to it yeah yeah and it doesn't get projected it's like the people i think i always think like the people with the money and the power like are just speaking with fucking massive megaphones yeah and they're just like block out all the other voices yeah. and it's like everyone has the same voice it's just some people like have tools to like project their voice yeah some people are born and the first thing they're handed is like a, is like a, a megaphone, megaphone. Yeah. and you know some air conditioning and yeah. <laughs> like and other people it's, yeah it's very unfair uh-huh yeah i think uh, well the la- i don't know how to transition into it but i guess like we were talking about like getting outside of your own head and like new perspectives like I w- uh one of the things i was th- uh, looking at last night was out of uh out of john hopkins and it was talking about a single psychedelic experience i think 90 percent of the people rated it in their three most meaningful experiences in their entire lives Mm -hmm. and it's like and it's like for so long like at least at least since like the 70s like whatever law that was in 1970 that that criminalized like the sweeping psychedelic act i think it was something like that like it's done so much harm because i think it prevented people from doing the one thing that I think like everyone needs to do which is get out of their own way and get out of their own head and be able to see more perspectives and it's like why was that why was that law put into place it speaks to like the nature of our whole society like we don't maybe we like it's better like in some way it's it's worse off for society like the efficiency of society for people to to have these like these these crazy experiences because they're more likely to start questioning and start like maybe rebelling against it a little bit yeah it's like why why is caffeine and adderall and these type of things so readily available versus these these psychedelics that like make you question yeah the things that are the most expansive are some of the things that are the most vilified and it's like why is that? Why are we all okay with alcohol? Which just like kind of makes you dumb and then you feel super tired and you don't really get much from it. And, and it's poison. It's poison. Yep. And why so is that like, oh, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, something that's naturally occurring that people have been using for spiritual. For millennium. Yeah. For millennium. For such a long time. Like that's not, I mean, and that's also, it, like, it's exactly what you said. It's just control. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's like, all the, like. I was talking, uh, what was I reading? Something, something about Soma, maybe? Mm-hmm. It was like, I think it, it's like the, they don't really know exactly what it was, but some type of, like, psychedelic drink, like, maybe similar to ayahuasca, something, that's, like, what I think, that's what I associated in my head. Mm-hmm. It's, like, the, the, that was really valued in, like, uh, indigenous cultures and, like, ancient civilizations, like, only, like, the elders would do it, or, like, it would be a special ceremony, and mm-hmm. it would be, like, a huge deal, like, have we in some way lost like the valuing for like difference and like those those type of experiences along the way because we're so focused and like creating an efficient society like that feels like that's what the goal is like maximizing efficiency at all costs 
maximizing efficiency and viewing efficiency as in alignment with the like western white way of doing things because like we were talking about earlier like in theory it's more efficient to do something you know if if just a small group of people have power and they decide what goes like yeah it's a lot more efficient because uh-huh. one person's making a decision or two yeah, people and they can do things really and they quickly. can do things really quickly but like if you're doing it the wrong way and you're not taking people's um, various perspectives into account and like you end up doing something that's a disaster like even though you were able to you know affect this disaster very quickly mm-hmm. is that is it more efficient you mm-hmm. know um, so I yeah I totally agree I mean I also just think that it was like like most literally about just control and trying to eradicate other ways of being mm-hmm. So, like, what do you what do you think they're scared of? People like seeing like operating in a new mode of being, um, I th- or just different modes of being. Uh-huh. I mean, I think that's what you know. When folks came over here, when Europeans came over here, they really looked down on indigenous people. They didn't view them as as like as high a level of human as white folks. They're they viewed their, you know, religions as being really rudimentary and not as developed, any of those things. Mm. Um, but what's interesting to me about it is, like, if that's what you feel, why are you outlawing? If it's, like, a lesser religion or if, like, you know, using peyote for spiritual purposes, for rituals, if that's if that's lesser, you know, why, yeah. why eradicate it? It's like it? if you really think it's so low... Why are you even spending your time on it? Yeah, and the answer would be like, oh, well, probably because it was they thought it was satanic. So it's like, oh, well, then you're saying that your point of view, not only is your point of view the correct point of view and the other points of views are wrong, but you have to get, it is also a part of your perspective to get rid of anything else that you perceive as wrong and mm. to force people not to engage in it anymore. Yeah, that like... This is kind of, kind of off topic, but like it's it's kind of similar to the Eastern Western like religious split. Like, I think that like the West or at least Christianity like had to create this like this separate entity of God and like the devil and hell and heaven to especially the like the devil is the one I like I think is easiest to think about because you you kind of don't you don't want to acknowledge that that only exists from people seeing it like in themselves Mm -hmm. like the devil is inside every person and that like we're we're we are so like we don't want to have to deal with it so much that we gave it its own body and called it something other than ourselves Mm -hmm. even though it's not it's not a real thing it's in ourselves yeah and we do like had to we had to like rationalize it and like in some way like not to confront it within ourselves Mm -hmm. it like gives us it's like a scapegoat we can say that it's outside of ourselves and like that we're fighting against it some way but really like it would be fighting against yourself if you were like really were to acknowledge that yeah yeah the uh this guy jung talked about like there being different different parts of the psyche and like one part of it is like the shadow Mm -hmm. which is like like the dark like i don't know the bad part of you like whatever you whatever you associate with that and it's like his solution was the only way to, I guess, defeat it would be to, like, integrate it into yourself. And I love that mm-hmm. idea because it's, like, the opposite of what I was talking about before about, like, externalizing it. It's, it's one, acknowledging that it exists. Two, acknowledging that it exists inside of you. 
three realizing that it has like some type of power and control over you that you don't maybe don't actually understand and then four trying to find a solution to do that which would be to like it's like a fear mm-hmm. like uh i think like if someone has a fear of elevator like a a, a a normal way of going about it would be to bring someone to the elevator and like slowly get them to look at it and go inside and like step into it or something something yeah, like that exactly and it's like, that like you you look at you have to look at these things like this thing honestly like this piece of yourself acknowledge that it ex- exists and then be like all right now what do i do yeah now that i realize that it's here am i how do i solve the problem yeah i mean it's like the you've yeah you just exactly described you know the therapy that people often use for people that have fears and you know if you say don't think about the white bear think about anything else just not the white bear then you just, obviously automatically start thinking about all you start thinking about is the white bear and it's really really hard to think about anything else and mm-hmm. so it's sort of like if if there are parts of ourselves that we're just trying to push away and not think about then more and more of our life becomes about that subconsciously because it's going to rear its head in and it's going to have it's going to have to deceive you yeah it's going to like like all these things like are existing in the subconscious like you're not really in control of them and then if your conscious mind is like trying to suppress them then maybe it's maybe the subconscious is smarter than you and it's gonna like outmaneuver you and rear its head and without you even noticing right oh absolutely i mean bear like you know if you have a if you have like a, a rat and instead of like dealing with it you just like put it under the sheets yeah, and you're like, like well any it's, yeah it's not it's not there anymore i can't see it like it's not the rat hasn't gone away the rat's just going to surprise you sometime that you're not going to be happy about yeah that's like that's that's like why the the one of the main pillars of the of the religion the sky creates is self self like reflection mm-hmm. it's because like it's 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 looking at things honestly i love that that guy's kind of just chilling around here Keep yeah going. um it's like looking at these things honestly and actually like having the courage to confront the problem because it takes courage. Mm-hmm. It's scary oh, it's to, super l- scary. to fucking have to shoot or grab the rat or do yeah. whatever you do to kill a rat. Yeah. Like it's it's hard to do. Like it makes sense why people don't want to have to do that. Yeah. But then like you think about the long term, it's you're so much better off. And it's not even killing the rat, right? It's like taking the rat into your home and making him your friend. <laughs> and like, yeah. And maybe you know, he cooks for you. Like, yeah, I mean, just, you know, it's not, it's just like making making space for for all of it the more self-judgment and beating ourselves up that we do the further away we actually get from you know what our goal usually is which is just to like be happy and less encumbered by our demons yeah it's like like that rat thing like the rat the rat cooking that's exactly what Jung was talking about he was talking about like in insofar as you incorporate your shadow you're going to be able to use that mm-hmm. like to your own benefit yeah because it's like hard it's it's potential power like lo- like in you mm-hmm. that that you could be using that's usually that if if otherwise would be like fighting against you it's like his whole thing was like alignment and getting mm-hmm. things to work together like the whole like kind of what you were talking about like the system mm-hmm. like the ecosystem like all working together and it's like it's hard enough to do that at an inv- individual level like that's like what he was talking like he spent his entire life on working on it at the individual level trying to in- trying to integrate and like reconcile the different pieces of yourself mm-hmm. then if you scale that up it's like exponentially more challenging and that's like the challenge that ideally you would want to solve. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a lot more challenging on a community Crazy. scale. 
Yeah. I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. How was that? Feel good. I feel great. Amazing. It was wonderful. Oh Thank God. you so much. Oh, are you kidding me? I had so much fun. Yeah. That Thank was you. sick. That was pretty sick, right? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank I'm you so, so much for including me. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Oh, yeah. That was uh, so much fun for me. Oh, good. That was so much fun for me, too. That, like, I wonder, I wonder how long you did. You talk to me did. for that long. Oh, my God. I still do. <laughs> Hour 21 minutes. <laughs>